0: Welcome to the Rent to Retirement Podcast, your resource for passive real estate investing and retirement strategies. If you're new to real estate or planning your financial future, you're in the right place. Join us at renttoretirement.com to find your path to financial freedom and an easy, carefree retirement. Enjoy the show. All right, here we go. Hey, rent to retires it's Adam Schrader here with another episode, and I'm joined as usual by the founder and CEO of rent to retirement Zach Lemaster, and we are joined today by the leader of our uh, Akron team here, that is Steve. Steve, pleasure having you back.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, guys. Good seeing you again.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I don't think we've had you on the show since uh, the BP conference last year. So just before we dive into what we want to talk about today, um, any Anything else? Anything new going on in the Akron area? I know in some of the areas you're in, Amazon's coming to town.
1: Yeah, um, so uh, the Amazon Center's uh, being built down in Canton. Uh, the one in Akron, they just keep expanding it, uh, making it larger and larger, I feel like. It's like a distribution center. Um, so, I mean, economy's still rocking here. Rents are still increasing steadily. Um, real estate's hot in Akron.
2: Steve, for those who don't know, um, which is probably most, but <laughs> where where is Akron and Barberton, and yeah. why would anyone consider investing in that area?
1: So Akron's about thirty minutes south of Cleveland um, via like interstate highway. Um, Akron's super landlord friendly, and the areas around like the suburbs around Akron are even more landlord friendly. Um, if you have you know like an eviction, like some places, you're months out. In a lot of these suburbs, you're two, three weeks you're in court, you know, where like even like Cleveland, a bigger suburb, you're still two, three months before you get a court date. So I think it's always important that they're, they're super landlord friendly and it's the eviction process because I buy a lot of houses that have, you know, squatters in them and stuff like that is, is super simple in these smaller suburbs and even, you know, Akron, as long as you have your notices posted, the judge elected, they pay rent. No, he's out, you know. Which is is awesome. You're not you know having to store people's stuff for for months on end and hoping they find a place. They're a week and they're gone after the court case and the bailiff comes and helps you put all their stuff on the curb and send it out. Um, that's worst case scenario. When I was when I was gonna say you don't
2: <laughs> we don't have that many evictions, do you? I mean,
1: no. This is this is when he buys them, I do. This, this is when I buy them. Yeah, okay. when you buy and people don't want to move out because they're paying you know, or not paying, I guess I should say. <laughs> it's not a big deal. Once they're renovated, you put a qualified tenant in. Um, but, you know, also the houses are affordable. Um, a lot of blue collar, working class individuals, you know, working their nine to fives, families, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's real stable. You know, so we just
2: recently put out a, an article that was um, featured and published by by Bigger Pockets, uh, but it was called the top five, most recession-proof markets in the u.s Mm -hmm. and akron was number one based on a lot of statistics that we ran but um this was something that we're when we're looking at a a market that's stable yes you you touched on the landlord-friendly legislation but this is an area where you just see stable consistency and rental growth you're not going to have probably i mean maybe at some point you'll have stronger appreciation but this is like your bread and butter cash flowing market right you have affordability on entry point um, where you can purchase a house that is, you know, 150, 200, in a solid B class neighborhood, and and have a tenant that's going to hopefully stay for many years, and you know, just produce positive cash flow. Um, so we like Akron, and you've done an exceptional job. We've had uh, a lot of people be very successful working working with you in that area, and they always come back to to buy more. I'm actually going to read a review I just saw this morning um, from an investor that recently closed two properties with you Steve and he left this review three hours ago so this is, <laughs> it's, fresh. This is, it's fresh here and this is from Daniel DeRosiers uh, oh, and yeah. I, I apologize Daniel if I butchered your name but um, so he's, he wrote I recently had the pleasure of working with Corey Zygman from Rent Retirement and Steve the local provider in Akron Ohio and I can't recommend them highly enough. Corey provided me with exceptional market uh, analysis that helped me make an informed decision on my second rental purchase in Akron. Her expertise and attention to detail is truly outstanding. Of course, communication is wonderful and she's always willing to answer the phone, talk things through. Steve, the local provider in Akron, was a pleasure to work with and went above and beyond to help me through the purchase process. His knowledge of the local real estate market was truly impressive and his guidance was invaluable. I don't know how much Steve paid him to write this uh, review, but he says the work he does to renovate the property is top notch and really made my investment stand out. And here's here's why I wanted to read this, because this is um, pretty, pretty impressive here. He says, thanks to their efforts, I was able to secure an ex- excellent uh, property that has already exceeded my expectations. In fact, I was able to get $250 more in monthly rent over the estimated amount, which is truly impressive. Overall, I recommend Corey and Steve to anyone looking to invest in the Akron, Ohio area. They are true professionals dedicated to their clients and are always willing to go the extra miles. So what an outstanding review. I just wanted to share that because a lot of times people wonder about rents, like, oh, what are are these rents accurate? Like you can have variability in rents, right? Your pro forma is not your, that is our best estimate of performance on property and you can exceed it as well. Everyone wants to hound on. well, you know, what if you don't meet those numbers? Which is true. You could have some fluctuation in rents on the other side, potentially. Right. But it goes both ways here. So yeah. uh, great job on that, Steve. Thank you.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I going to touch a little bit on that one. I, I, I always, people always ask about the rent projections. And I say, listen, these are conservative numbers. And, and we always try in the property management company that we, uh, I always recommend my uncle's company. They do a great job trying to get that extra $100, 200 I know on Daniel's first property, um, they actually got someone f- for, uh, well, not got someone, but they got a tenant in there for $500 more than projected. Uh, it was an insurance. Uh, their house had some damage to it or something, a fire. And uh, our leasing agent was able to secure them in Daniel's first property, you know, $500 over projected. And the second one was just a regular tenant, didn't have any like, Move out issues or anything like that. Um, they uh, rented for two hundred fifty more, so I mean seven hundred dollars more than projected over two properties is is amazing. Um, <laughs> I saw the uh, first tenant actually had to sign an extension because their house from the in- the uh, insurance damage that they had. That's on
2: well, their other house,
1: right? Like yeah, their their sorry. house. That's why
2: they're living as a tenant. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: This. So they uh, they owned a house, right? And it, there was a small fire in their house or something of that nature and they needed a new place to live and the insurance company was gonna pay for it. So it was why they're living in it. They just signed another six month extension because their renovations aren't done yet. But uh, just having those local connections with those uh, insurance companies, they know that we provide good properties and you know, they always reach out when they have uh, a situation like that which is, is beneficial for everyone, I think. Yeah, that's great. Well, um,
2: we're not here to necessarily talk too much about the Akron market or or promote Steve as as uh, you know the best guy to work with, although he is one of the best. So um, we're here to talk about you, Steve, and some creative things that you're doing investing, especially through your IRA because mm-hmm. this is something that a lot of people are interested in. Almost everyone has an IRA or potentially 401k to some degree. And there's a lot of things that you can do with it. Um, and you're, you know, you're a professional investor, you're, you're a house flipper, mm-hmm. um, you know, renovating uh, houses and then putting tenants in them and then managing them long term. That some of those you, you keep, some of those you uh, yeah. sell to turnkey investors, but you do a lot of investing creatively yourself. So let's dive into that and hear more about what you're doing on the IRA side. Yes, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I opened a, uh, a self-directed uh, Roth uh, 401k. Um, And and what this does is it helps me uh, flip homes in the Roth as well as lend out of the Roth. So it's kind of a double-edged sword because, you know, you always need lending for for doing flips and you're trying to do a lot of volume. So to help build that capital, um, we would buy the house in the IRA, the Roth IRA, and we'd do the renovations. And then once we sell the property, whatever the the margin was, is tax-free kept into the Roth IRA. So let's just say, for example, you buy a house for hundred grand, um, you know, you put 25 into it, you sell for 150, the 25 you made in profit stays in the IRA, the Roth IRA tax-free. So when you go to pull it out when you're 59 and a half, you get those proceeds tax-free, which is amazing, right? Because it helps take down the taxable income that you'd make on a normal flip. And then it keeps it in there long term. And then what we do with the money, once it's in the Roth IRA, we then take that and lend it to ourselves. And you can charge yourself whatever the fair market interest rate is, points, legal fees, whatever. And then you lend against that that house that we flip. And then we keep doing that, keep rinsing, repeating, rinsing, repeating. Uh, the only thing I'd be careful of is you got to make sure that uh, you don't do like 100 flips in your Roth IRA in one year hit you with a, it's called a UBIT tax is what it's been explained to me as um, unrelated business tax, income tax, or something like that. Now, is that
2: on, on just the IRA or also the 401k? Because it was my understanding that that is not charged. And this is more or less if you're using lending, at least what I'm talking about to buy a house and you know, the long-term hold, you get UBIT on self-directed
1: IRA, but not necessarily
2: 401k is what I understand. Is that accurate
1: or I've never looked into buying them and holding them long term. Um, I always liked, my understanding is if I, if I held it in the the 401k or the Roth, um, I wouldn't be able to get that depreciation from uh, your normal depreciation in schedules and stuff like that. So I've always done it short term holds in them with the flips and then also just the lending. But they said if you like make a business out of flipping in your Roth, then that's where it shows that it's like a business activity but if you let's say you flip 50 homes a year and you only do four in your roth then it's not like you're running a business you're only doing a little bit in the roth
0: and what i like about what you were talking about is you mentioned how you're doing it with you know with the business partner there and so one of the biggest things whenever you are doing this is the cost of money is just you know you're paying points to some random person as opposed to you know if you're trading back and forth essentially your money's staying with you right you know, you're able to keep it all in-house so that reduces the amount of capital that you're actually using
1: yeah for sure so if you're you know lending it to yourself you're you know getting the points off of of the deal plus the interest which kind of keeps it in-house I mean because I have several lenders that lend me money individuals companies you know whatever it might be and they all know make double digit returns plus points you know if if you could keep that money into your own account or your own retirement account why not you know be
2: your own bank right yeah exactly so this this is a this is a tax strategy uh is is mainly the play here right because it's still it's still the limiting factor is is capital um you know it it comes down to how much money do you have in your ira and and what do you do with it and this isn't just ira or, or 401k Um, This, this would be applicable to say a a whole life insurance policy where you have a cash value. You can do the same thing there where you pull money out and and be the bank. Um, You know, there's, there's all sorts of philosophies out there about, you know, creating lines of credits and things like this, but it's just one, I think of many things to, to think about doing. But in your case, Steve, you're a professional house flipper. So you're taking the money out, you're lending it to, you know, other companies you own or have ownership Mm -hmm. in, and then you're flipping houses with it, paying it back.
1: Exactly. Um, with the house, so.
2: but that's not the only thing you can do with an IRA, right? That's, that's one yeah. option to say, like, because a lot of like our investors, they're not, they're probably not going to be active investors or flip houses. They may, <laughs> uh, you know, but they're, they're busy well, professionals. They want to own rental real estate so they can also take money out. I mean, this is a big discussion with IRA is like, do you leave the money in and, and buy property through the IRA? We'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. Or do you you take it out at whatever penalty and then use it as a down payment? But you can also lend it, right? You can also be a lender. And yeah. that way if you don't have hundred thousand dollars in an IRA to go out and um, flip out, like you can maybe chunk out smaller portions of that to lend to to some degree. And then yes. those contributions have to go back into the
1: IRA, right? Yes, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I have people that lend out their self-directed IRAs to me, you know, and then once the once I'm done with the house and I sell the house, their funds are returned into their IRA and they get double digit returns and uh, secured by a personal guarantee and uh, the real estate, you have a first position lien. So that's probably half of the lenders that lend to me use their, some sort of retirement account that's self-directed. Um, so it's a strategy that's used a ton, of, I think. Let's
2: talk about private lending a little bit. And, and I think let's uh, hit on some points and that, are, that go beyond just your IRA, just about private lending to individuals. Um, because this is something I unfortunately have a lot of bad experience with, um, of lending money to people and losing it or not getting it back. And, um, you know, what, what things you need to be conscious of. And right now it is crazy. There's like, it's like everyone and their brother is some syndicator or something. And then they're like, (laughs) syndicating for other syndicators that are syndicating and lending out money. And you don't even know what like what the damn project is at the end of the day. Right. Right. It's just nuts, man. There's so many people uh, because it's so easy to jump in and say, I'm a syndicator, right. And because they've invested, I'm a, I'm an investor because I've invested in one passive deal in the past. It's like, no, I actually want to see your, your active projects that you're working oh, on. Okay. Right. And I want to see what your actual experience and are you the operator? Are you the G you know, are you one of the GPs on this yeah. thing? Because if you're not, I'm not talking to the right person. But here's here's my opinion. When you're lending to someone, because you mentioned a, a couple of key points, yeah, on uh, lending to someone, one first position, right, um, position. and being the old, that means you're the only investor. So you're like the bank. Uh, you are the bank in this case. Let's say you lend Steve a hundred thousand dollars. He goes out and flips the house. He pays you, you know, whatever twelve twelve percent or whatever yeah. the going rate is. That's fair. Um, Flips the house in six months. You get your money back um, plus plus interest. But what happens if that that doesn't happen, right? And So here's the key things I would tell anyone when you're lending money to somebody, whether whoever they are, um, and regardless if it's in an organized syndication or an individual, obviously look at track record, check references, and you know everything along those lines. But also make sure you have security, right? I've had so many times where I've lent money to people, and I have this lesson, unfortunately, the hard way many times. But have security. You need that means you actually. Are on a note for a property and ideally first position. There's been many times where I've had security on a property in second or third position. Come to find out, you know, there's no equity left over after that first position. So, first position is always key. Uh, that means there's no one in front of you. Now, the one thing that can step in front of that is, you know, taxes. Um, if someone's behind a taxes, the IRS always comes in first position, even in front of mortgages. <laughs>
0: they, um, have, they have zero position.
2: Yeah, <laughs> they got their hands in everything, but also, you know, making sure you're lending something. Why, why I don't really like um, too much syndication opportunities. Uh, and, and I much rather lend to individuals is because you're not pooled with a thousand other people on one project that you have zero visibility and control over. Right. And as an LP say in a syndication scenario, like something could go wrong, right? We've, I, there's, there's a syndication that went bankrupt that I invested in five years ago, and that bankruptcy is still going on. Um, and you know, we're talking a lot of money. I was just an LP. There's nothing I can do besides go through the, go through the bankruptcy process uh, and hope I get some money back, which I will not at this point because there's so many creditors. But before I go on my rants, I mean, Adam, what, are, what are your uh, thoughts on lending capital, IRA or otherwise?
0: Yeah. So I'm, I'm with you, Zach. I mean, when it comes to lending money, I haven't personally done any, you know, investing to someone like Steve, but I mean, there's no way I would ever lend to someone and not be in first position. I mean, if you're putting all of your money or not all of your money, but if you're the one doing it and you're putting your money in a position where you can lose it. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not giving it to someone else to lose. Um, if, you know, if I'm going to lose it, it's going to be my own fault not uh, not some other random person's fault that I'm losing money.
2: Just have a just have security. That's all I'm saying is because uh, so many people are out there lending on promissory notes and um, and personal guarantees and, and maybe even throwing in a business guarantee And while those are good to have, at the end of the day, if you know crap really hits a ban, um, you need a physical asset to fall yeah. back on. That's where your money is secured by. Um, and you know, the secured, secured lending may not give you as uh, you know, as highest interest rates as as a, uh, but someone is pitching you that, that has, um, a project where they're, they're just giving you a promissory note, but that's because there mm-hmm. is security. Right. And that's, that's potentially red flag. So,
0: and you will have to wait three to five years before you start seeing the, uh, the real returns like you probably had to do in your syndication.
2: Oh yeah, just you know, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox here. I don't want this to be, you know, uh, me just complaining about that. But this is in the syndication by the way. Yeah, it was is a 5-year term. I received monthly payments for 5 years uh, as if the project was going fine. And so and but when it came time to to exit the deal, that's when we found out that there was they were severely underwater, the project was delayed. And I get it, like that's real estate, that is risk, but There's nothing we can do there. So we probably just through the interest payments receive 10% capital back. I mean, um, anyways, Steve, let's hear more about kind of, you know, what, how you specifically work with investors and um, get more back on the the IRA topic.
1: Um, I I was going to say, I was going to touch on something with the lending. I think that we didn't mention that's, I think, critically important. Um, You said first position, great mortgage on the house. And then also the personal guarantee is great as well, but, when you lend on the asset, you need to know the ARV. You need to know what it's worth. <clears throat> and then the numbers, yeah. no, uh, the numbers, and then the rehab, you need the person doing the rehab to rehab it and then get draws and pay you back. So let's say the purchase is a hundred. He needs 50 in rehab. And then the ARV is 200. Well, he needs to write a scope of work or at least list out something and saying, Hey, I'm going to do these things to the property so we can get to that high ARV. And then, as he completes these, send him a draw. But he has to put the money out first, or whoever's working, I guess I shouldn't say he, whatever individual is. I think that puts you in a lot more of a secure position as well, because you're not over leveraged from day one if you give him the rehab plus the purchase.
2: Yeah, you don't pay a contractor or builder up front, uh, right <laughs> <Yeah>. before, <laughs> before any work's done. Um, And I I, I think that's important, but yeah, most importantly, know know the numbers, make sure that there is (laughs) a plan in place. What is the exit strategy? What Mm -hmm. happens if that exit strategy doesn't pan out like you anticipate? What else can you do with that? Right. Can you refinance? And so just to be clear, if you're in our first position, you are the bank on a property. Um, If that person defaults or doesn't finish project or whatever, you have to foreclose. You have to Mm -hmm. go through that process. So state legislation is also important. Mm -hmm. You talked about, you know some some state legislation in Ohio previously, and or in, in the Akron area, uh, and yeah. you want to look at maybe the foreclosure process because if you're lending to someone in a state that doesn't have a very quick foreclosure process, <laughs> maybe not- that first position is less attractive, yeah.
0: right? I mean, one of the interesting things is you talk about that. I mean, we invest in Florida, where it is really easy to kick a tenant out. Um, the foreclosure process there, though, that's two years. You know, so I mean, it, it's it. There might be some places that are great landlord friendly wise. As owners, oh. but in terms of getting, or not owners, in terms of tenants, but getting an owner out is a whole different ball game. Um, in mm-hmm. that regard,
2: so that would be an area to invest in and maybe not lend in, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, all right. Well, let's, Steve, can you explain more on the the draw structure because this is really important to you know, a lot, if someone's asking you for all the capital up front and you know they don't have this plan. I mean, these are all red flags to look at when you right. lend someone money, whether it's through your your IRA or not um but can you explain the draw process what you were saying a little bit more that yeah. wasn't clear to me exactly does that mean they're paying them back slowly over time or they're releasing more capital as a project uh, progresses
1: yeah so they're they're releasing more capital as, as stuff is completed so let's say your total loan amount is one hundred and fifty thousand, right 100 is going to be for the purchase so you, you give the 100 off the bat to the title company or whoever the third party is it's doing the transaction right i know in ohio (laughs) not to the individual
0: gotcha
2: not to the individual (laughs) yeah you're putting into an escrow account that's that's a good point that like you have a third party making distributions and like getting approval before this is by the way this is like how construction lenders work in professional you know institutional money like they don't just hand over money uh they go through a process so right
1: so you you secure the asset right you give them hundred thousand. And then they're like, "Hey, we need fifty thousand to renovate it, right?" So your total loan's one hundred and fifty thousand. Um, when I lend it, I collect interest on the whole hundred and fifty, even if I haven't given them the draw yet, because I gotta earmark that money that that's theirs. So they should give you some sort of scope of work and like cost, right? Like I'm gonna put in an HVAC system; it's gonna cost five grand. Okay. So then once they do so many items, they say, "Hey, I'm ready for a draw." You send an inspector out, you can go out yourself, you can ask for a video walkthrough, whatever you need, right? And you verify those items are done and then you go ahead and, and release a draw. So then that way, as more gets completed, your amount of money out to them increases. And also I think something, um, I like to have all the interest payments rolled in personally. So I just pay off at the end when I sell the house because these are you know three to six month projects. Um, but someone I, I talked to that does a lot of lending um, lends to me as well. He always does monthly payments. And you're like, well, that sounds like kind of a hassle, right? But right away, if they're in default after month one, you can start your foreclosure process. You don't have to give them any draws because they're in default, right? So you're collecting that interest payment every month. But if, if they don't pay, then obviously you can act faster than waiting for the full six months or 12 months terms you have
2: so i thought that so was- is that typical that you pay people
1: monthly or- uh, I, don't, I like to i like to roll all the payments in to the the end so the one guy that does uh monthly payments that lends to me we close the loan and then i write him a check for three or four months in advance so i don't have to worry about
2: yeah it's it's a hassle but that's a very good point like that you're in default, right? You don't have to wait for the whole term to technically be in default if you're having the the monthly.
1: And you can start the foreclosure and obviously you're not going to give them a draw at that point, right? So then you've protected that other $50,000 that you were going to lend to them. And then I I think the risk tolerance, right? Adam talked about earlier, right? If anyone's going to lose the money, you want it to be your your own decisions, right? Not someone else's. So uh, one of my good buddies says, you know, he does a lot of syndications and other things like that. He always says like, how much of your net worth are you putting in there? Right? Are you putting in fifty percent of your net worth into this investment? If it goes wrong, you're like screwed. Or are you putting in five percent? It's not necessarily the dollar amount you're putting in. it's the amount of your net worth. Are you okay risking that amount? Because there's a risk to everything, right? I invest in syndications too. You know, I'm actively in two of them right now. I'm not a syndicator, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I'm in two myself. So I, I see the risk, but I mean, I did smaller amounts that were, You know, if I lost it, it was going to be okay. It's kind of the way I look at it. That's a
2: huge point of like, what percentage of your capital are you investing in, into different projects, right? I mean, real estate included or really anything. Mm -hmm. Now I'm, I'm probably not following that same advice because I (laughs) am, I'm not very diversified across different assets because we only invest in real estate, Same, Um, but we are diversified within real estate, different locations, asset classes, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, projects and, and things like that. So,
1: yeah, um, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm a hundred percent into real estate. I don't, I don't have anything else, but I'm diversified in different areas around Ohio and then in the syndications and then in the hard money lending. And then I got an Airbnb in Myrtle beach. So I kind of spread it out as, as, as much as possible. Like you said, I'm diversified in real estate.
2: So you're not, you're not like Adam who goes to Vegas over the past week and doesn't work and puts all his money on
1: red. <laughs> he's only done on half it red. on
0: red and half it on black I never lost
1: <laughs> until it went to green <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have fun, so that's the most important part yeah
0: so. and i didn't uh, spend all my capital that was the that was the other important <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> i mean but it's the same thing right you go to vegas you only take as much as you're willing to lose um so Well, if you, if you want to walk out happy. Uh, (laughs) So, so uh, the last thing we wanted to to touch on here, and it's something, you know, we've talked about creative financing on the show before Mm -hmm. I've had people ask me in conversations, you know, Hey, you know, I've, I've heard about this, you know, are these markets a good one to do, you know, if I buy this property, could it possibly be good to do as a lease option or, you know, something along those lines and. I was talking with you a few weeks ago and you said, Hey, you know, yeah, I do some of these myself. Talk a little bit about the, um, if there's what kind of demand you're seeing there and kind of how you're structuring those deals. And I know you're doing a few of them yourself. And Adam,
2: yeah. are you talking about on the acquisition where you have a seller finance or you're owning it and leasing lease options? You're, to a tenant? Yeah,
0: they're buying and then, you know, doing lease it lease option outside. to a tenant. Okay. Yeah. So I don't do like rent to owns.
1: I do lease with purchase options. So it gives, keeps a lot more rights for the- And
2: explain that, break that down, Steve, just so people are clear.
1: So uh, at a certain point in Ohio, I forget like the exact percentage, but let's just say at 20% equity, that tenant or person buying it from you starts to have rights to where they're like an owner and you have to go for the, to the foreclosure process. So I do a lease, so I have two contracts, right? I have a lease with them and I have an option to purchase. So with their down payment, they're buying the option to purchase it at a set price.
2: Can those payments can those and how do you structure that because yeah. to your previously point, can your in a lease option agreement can your can their payments go towards a down payment, like can they, you know, during the lease, can they yeah. build equity or build, or how does that work?
1: So the way I've been setting mine up is, let's say the house is $150,000 purchase. Most of the purchases I set between 130 and 150. Um, I require $5,000 down that buys you the option, right? So now that's like your down payment as well. So that goes towards their purchase if they perform. So, and then I say, hey, the rent's $1,350 for year one, $50 a month I save for as part of your down payment. So every month they get $50 more in equity. And then year two, I've already pre-done this out. So year one, they're $1,350. Year two, they're $1,375. Year three, they're $1,400 in rent, but I'm only taking 50 of it and putting it towards their down payment. I only do 36 month terms. So if they don't perform within 36 months, I'm more than happy to let them stay there. I'm more than happy to hold their five thousand, you know, as their down payment plus their fifty dollars they've gained in equity every month. But I increase the purchase price. You have to increase the purchase price so that way their percent of equity doesn't become too large.
2: And, well, and also rightfully so, right? Houses right. appreciate over so. time. You want to make yeah. sure you're protecting. I mean, so just to kind of clarify this, this is a scenario where you have a tenant that maybe, maybe they're qualified tenant, maybe they're self employed or you know, they yeah. just start a new job, they can't qualify for financing. Maybe they had a credit hit mm-hmm. and they have a high paying job and they need need time to repair their credit. Yeah. Whatever the case is, they may they're interested in home ownership. Um, and usually those are people who are great tenants because, you know, they have that ownership that like they want to buy that house, right? They're gonna take care of that house, maybe do some maintenance things and, mm-hmm. you know, just have a high likelihood of staying and and for many years not having vacancy and, yeah. and turnover costs. But Really, and you can be strategic where, yes, they have this down payment where if they don't execute the uh, the option to purchase, then, you know, you, you've made more money through the initial money you've collected, um, which, you know, not sometimes maybe plans change and they don't execute that option. Correct. You can also charge more rent, have built-in escalations like you did, and and set a price. Like, when I've done this in the past, I've projected a future purchase price into that. Like, if I, if I sold that house today for $150,000, if I'm doing a lease option for someone over three years, you know, I I would probably do at 165 or whatever the case is. I would bump it up, right? I would make Absolutely. sure that uh, I'm accounting for that. Um, so, I mean, interesting interesting way to to have quality tenants. There are some people that only only um, you know mm-hmm. lease to people that are going to be homeowners uh, yeah. and do lease options. So
1: it's a good thing because I, a lot of the people that move into these for me are like you said 1099 employees or 1099 workers that they can't, they can't get approved for a loan yet because they haven't been 1099 for so many years showing such an income. So that gives them this time to build it, but then they also have that homeownership feeling that they're going to perform. So it's, it's a pretty cool process. Once the person actually performs, you know, the, the tenants that become the true homeowners are, are really, really grateful, you know, which is awesome. It's, it's fun to see that process of them grow into that house and, uh, and then perform on the note. And, you know, you, you, make your money on the sale, you've collected this rent. So it's a, it's a win-win situation all the way around. Yeah. And you've helped, you've helped someone buy a house that wouldn't otherwise have a traditional way to do that. So, so it's also cool is, um if you do, if you do this in Akron, Ohio or Canton, where my uncle's property management company works, he actually, he'll do those for you. And then he actually provides that tenant that is supposed to do all the repairs an option to pay for maintenance if they have something. So the, I know one of my properties had a, a plumbing issue a year or so after someone moved in, they didn't have anyone that could fix the issue, but, you know, they called the management company and the management comes like, yeah, we can fix that. And then that tenant just paid the management company to fix it. So it worked out. Uh, you know, I ne- I didn't have to pay for it.
2: <laughs> did you say, did I hear you say though, that you're facilitating lease options for, for investors
1: Yeah, potentially? Yeah. So I know um, a few clients that bought properties from me, like, three years ago when I first got started um, we're talking to me about different things I was doing and I brought up the lease purchase option and um, he did that with both of his properties when they turned and he's like it was great I collected the five thousand up front you know and then they moved in and it's been six seven months they paid every month and he's like there's, n- there's no maintenance ever. <laughs> there's how, just- how do you find those tenants? Uh, it takes a little longer you know, and, and you have to look at it and be like, all right, they still have to qualify as a tenant. Right. And then they got to be like, are they ever going to actually get that credit up to that point where they can perform? Is something you want to kind of peek at as well. Kind of ask them their game plan. You know, what are you how are you going to perform on this house? Right. So I, I think it takes a little longer to find the tenant because you're asking for a larger payment up front. They have to be able to save money. Right. Which is sometimes an issue. You know, it's, it's why sometimes they are tenants, they can't save that money for the down payment, you know, and in this way it kind of helps them build it as well over time, taking that $50 each month and adding it to their, their initial down payment. So I, I would say the finding of a tenant is a little longer, but it's also, you know, hopefully a longer term solution for, you know, in case you're afraid of turnover or something like that. Typically these people, if they put down $5,000, they they don't want to lose that money. They're going to perform you know, or at least try to. Um, So I think, you know, I'd say the average tenant we find and I don't know, so a lot of times we find them right before the the property closes or something like that. usually takes a couple of weeks. Uh, Worst case, usually 30 days. Sometimes these lease to purchase options will take 30 to 60 days. It does happen, you know, but that's something you account for and just know, know going into it, it's a little bit more of a vetting process.
0: Fantastic. Well, Steve, we want to thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Uh, if y'all want to see what Steve's doing, you can head on over to renttoretirement.com, click on the active inventory. Uh, most likely when you see something in Akron or Canton or Massillon or Barberton, that's uh, <laughs> that's this guy right here and his properties. So uh, again, really appreciated it. Uh, for all you out there who want to see the top 20 markets to invest in in 2023, you can email podcasts at retirement.com and we will get that sent out to you. Again, that's podcast at renttoretirement.com. Also, if you leave a review on whatever podcast platform you use, take a screenshot, email it to that same email address, and we will get you a $10 thank you gift card, as well as uh, put you in a $500 raffle for a closing cost credit. I really appreciate the time you all spent educating yourself today, and we'll talk to you on the next episode.